Hi, and welcome to Fado, an audio adventure into fantasy, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. Welcome to episode 14. Today, we're doing something just a little different. This is another kind of episode that I plan on introducing. So far, I've been primarily focusing on literary fairy tales, the ones that were collected by researchers like the Brothers Grimm and then written down for preservation. Sometimes there's an element of folklore to that. King Arthur, My Lord Bag of Rice, and even Snow White may have some folkloric origins. It all blends together in those kinds of stories, and while the accounts vary, you can pick something and read it. This time, and in other upcoming episodes, I'm going to tell you a little about some pure folklore. Today, I'm talking about a terrifying creature known as the Knuckle of E. Now, I've been reading a lot of folk stories and fairy tales since I started this show back in May. A couple of nights ago, I had what I believe is the first of many to come intrusions into my sleep from one of these stories. I was bound to start having folklore and fairy tale dreams eventually. So, there are a couple of reasons why I chose to start these folklore episodes with the Knuckle of E. It not only has to do with the fact that it's a widely accepted Orcadian creature, that is, it's from the island of Orkney that was mentioned in the last episode, but it's also because it decided to show up a couple of nights ago in the dream I was having. About feeding my childhood dog. Seriously, I was just feeding my dog. It was that mundane. And then this monstrous horse thing came around the house. Fortunately, it didn't present as terrifying in the dream. Fascination and apprehension, but it wasn't an out-and-out nightmare. No pun intended. Speaking of nightmares, we'll definitely get to those, but here's an advanced fact for you. The mare in Nightmare has nothing to do with horses. So, what can I tell you about the Knuckle of E? First of all, as I said, this creature comes from Orcadian myth, but it's more complex than that in that it's considered to have Scandinavian Norse roots as well. It's considered to be an aquatic creature, although it seems like most of the sightings aren't in the water, but near it. And the Knuckle of E's name is derived, according to the Orcadian folklorist Walter Trail Dennison, from an Orcadian name that means Devil of the Sea. It's possible that the Nuck part of the name comes from an old nickname for the Devil himself, Old Nick. Old Nick of the Sea, Nick of the Sea, Knuckle of E. You can get there. The Knuckle of E is considered in Orkney to be among the most malevolent evil beings that there are. It gets the blame for wilted crops, bad weather, sickness, and any other number of unfortunate occurrences. The only account from a supposed eyewitness that we have is from a man by the name of Thomas. His story was collected by the aforementioned Walter Dennison. Let me read it for you. Now, I'll warn you, this thing is pretty scary. Just don't take any late-night strolls on Orkney Island, 
and I'm sure you'll be fine. Now, as preserved by Walter Trail Dennison, the first-hand account of Thomas and the Knuckle of E. Thomas, like his namesake, Thomas Shanter, was out late one night. It was, though moonless, a fine starlit night. Thomas's road lay close by the seashore, and as he entered a part of the road that was hemmed in on one side by the sea and on the other by a deep freshwater lock, he saw some huge object in front of and moving towards him. What was he to do? He was sure it was no earthly thing that was steadily coming towards him. He could not go to either side, and to turn his back to an evil thing, he had heard, was the most dangerous position of all. So Tommy said to himself, "'The Lord be about me, and take care of me, as I am out on no evil intent this night.' Tommy was always regarded as rough and foolhardy. Anyway, he determined, as the best of two evils, to face the foe, and so walked resolutely, yet slowly, forward. He soon discovered, to his horror, that the gruesome creature approaching him was no other than the dreaded Knuckle of E, the most cruel and malignant of all uncanny beings that trouble mankind. The lower part of this terrible monster, as seen by Tommy, was like a great horse, with flappers like fins about his legs, with a mouth as wide as a whale's, from which came breath like steam from a brewing kettle. He had but one eye and that as red as fire. On him sat, or rather seemed to grow from his back, a huge man with no legs and arms that reached nearly to the ground. His head was as big as a clue of Simmons, and this huge head kept rolling from one shoulder to the other as if it meant to tumble off. But what to Tommy appeared most horrible of all was that the monster was skinless, this utter want of skin adding much to the terrific appearance of the creature's naked body. The whole surface of it showing only red, raw flesh, in which Tommy saw blood black as tar running through yellow veins, and great white sinews thick as horse tethers, twisting, stretching, and contracting as the monster moved. Tommy went slowly on in mortal terror, his hair on end, a cold sensation like a film of ice between his scalp and his skull, and a cold sweat bursting from every pore. But he knew it was useless to flee, and he said if he had to die, he would rather see who killed him than die with his back to his foe. In all his terror, Tommy remembered what he had heard of the knuckle of E's dislike of fresh water, and therefore took that side of the road nearest to the lock. The awful moment came when the lower head of the monster got abreast of Tommy. The mouth of the monster yawned like a bottomless pit. Tommy found its hot breath like fire on his face. The long arms were stretched out to seize the unhappy man. To avoid, if possible, the monster's clutch, Tommy swerved as near as he could to the lock. In doing so, one of his feet went into the lock, splashing up some water on the foreleg of the monster— whereat the horse gave a snort like thunder, and shied over to the other side of the road, and Tommy felt the wind of the knuckle of E's clutches as he narrowly escaped the monster's grip. Tommy saw his opportunity, and ran with all his might, 
and sore need had he to run, for the knuckle of E had turned and was galloping after him, and bellowing with a sound like the roaring of the sea. In front of Tommy lay a rivulet, through which the surplus water of the lock found its way to the sea, and Tommy knew if he could only cross the running water, he was safe, so he strained every nerve. As he reached the near bank, another clutch was made at him by the long arms— Tommy made a desperate spring and reached the other side, leaving his bonnet in the monster's clutches. The knuckle of E gave a wild, unearthly yell of disappointed rage as Tommy fell senseless on the safe side of the water. What did I tell you? This thing is the stuff of nightmares. As I research, I like to look at images of the subject. Art, photos, sketches, usually the older the better. I think it helps me to see what people thought about the story or the character. And the imagery of the knuckle of E is one of those things that sticks with you. It begs for a backstory. How did this creature decide, if it in fact did decide, what form it would take? Most accounts call it a shapeshifter, saying that it has one form in the sea, and this grotesque horse-man hybrid on land. No one really ventures to guess what it really looks like, but I wonder where the image really comes from. The people that told the tale must have had a reason for this kind of mockery of a horse and rider. There are other aquatic, horse-like creatures that may be related to the knuckle of E. The Kelpie, for example, is another fairly well-known shapeshifter from Scotland. This one, rather than being an overtly malevolent, grotesque monster, usually takes a different approach. Often it assumes the form of an attractive human, intending to lure a potential mate, or meal. With the knuckle of E, though, I think I'm most disturbed— by the image of this strange rider-like appendage's head, the fact that it's way too big and sort of lolls from side to side. It's just an eerie image. You see, I've always had a fairly capable imagination, and this thing is not doing me any favors. I think an interesting thing about a lot of folk creatures, be it fairies, ghosts, demons, or anything, are the certain sets of rules that govern them. Things like salt and iron as a warding and protection from ghosts. The hallowed ground that keeps a vampire at bay. And in this case, the fact that, though the knuckle of E is a creature of the sea and the salt water, it has an extreme aversion to fresh water. I continue to refer back to Tolkien, but this trait shows up with the ring wraiths also. I looked around for some solid origins of that particular thing, the aversion to water, and I found some references here and there, but mostly just speculation as to actually why. Possibly, water being a source of life, a renewing clean element, it just made sense that beings of malice and decay, like the knuckle of E, would find it distasteful. It might be also that often saltwater and freshwater creatures just don't mix. In any case, your best chance to escape the knuckle of E is to get across a stream, and fast. Another interesting fact that I happened across has to do with the knuckle of E taking the blame for blights or sickness. 
See, the knuckle of E is said to take great offense to the burning of seaweed. And it turns out that Orkney in the 19th century was a major producer of kelp ash. This is manufactured by collecting the seaweed that naturally washed ashore and burning it in pits along the coast. This ash has a lot of uses, and it was a major industry in Orkney, but you can imagine how angry this must have made the knuckle of E. Angry enough to unleash a horrible disease that the people called mortachine that affected the horses on the islands. All was not lost, though, because, according to the myth, the knuckle of E isn't simply allowed to wander unchecked. During the summer months, the knuckle of E is confined in the depths of the ocean by another powerful creature known as the Mither of the Sea. She is the spirit of the summer of the year, and is engaged in a constant battle with Terran, her winter counterpart. And their ongoing battle accounts for the changing of the seasons in Orcadian myth. It's always interesting to see how folktales go about explaining what people see day to day in nature. I'm just glad there is some part of the year I can go for a walk on the beach in Scotland without worrying about being chased by a skinless horse demon. Now, as usual, this is the tip of the iceberg for the lore surrounding the Knuckle of E. But rather than cover all of the little rabbit trails I found, I'll leave some room for discussion. So, if you're having fun listening to Fido, you should definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'm on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Don't forget to share and leave a review if you like what you're hearing. If you leave me comments or questions, I might even be able to read them on the air. You can also keep up and follow me on Facebook as well as Instagram. I'm Fado Podcast. If you want to support me more directly, you can become a patron. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. There will be behind-the-scenes content early access to upcoming episodes, and also merch. I have stickers already. If you become a patron, I can guarantee you one in your membership letter. That's right, I'll send you a personally handwritten note in the mail with a sticker. Also, if you join, you'll get a mention here on the show. Speaking of which, I'd like to welcome my newest patron, Stacy Atkins. Thank you very much for joining. You have my eternal and undying gratitude. All right, that about wraps it up. Watch for episode 15 coming out on August 30th. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time.